Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and as always, we begin a game week here on a Monday with our first episode of this week, and Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon set to join me. On like usual, we are not going to start off the top by looking back at the most recent matchup, a 24-15 loss to Michigan. Instead, major news dropping here in State College on Sunday, Penn State firing Mike Yersich, 30-year offensive coordinator, 36 games as the Nittany Lions play caller. James Franklin determined that was enough. He had seen enough. He talked about it a bit today at a press conference that we just came from. And so we got a lot to dive into. Let's get to it with Daniel and Mark right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And fellas, as I said, we, we kind of changed up our, our – our, you know, this, this shook up a lot for us. And 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 Mark, no time in, in James Franklin's first nine seasons did he determine that he wanted to dismiss a coaching staff member before the regular season concluded – and as he told us, uh, his mind was made up. He feels like once he gets there, he's got to act on it. And that's where they are. So with two games remaining in the regular season, Mike Yarsich Mike is no longer part of the equation for the 8-2 and two Penn State Nittany Lions. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have been shocked had this happened after the season. But the fact that it happened now, I think, tells you, you know, I, I don't want to say the pressure that James Franklin's feeling, but I, I think he realizes how important it was to win at least one of those two games against against Ohio State or Michigan. And the fact that the offense was the issue, the primary issue in both of those games. I mean, let, let's face it, you know, the defense wasn't perfect, but it played more than well enough for Penn State to win both of those games. Same thing goes for, for the special teams. You know, after struggling early in the year, uh, special teams really turned it around after the bye. And you look at the way that that offense kind of regressed and just didn't look good. And then more importantly, I think you look at the struggles of Drew Aller. And, you know, this is your franchise quarterback. You know, this is the guy you're hanging your hat on. And the way that he was struggling in those big games, what message is that sending out to other quarterbacks out there who you're trying to recruit or who have committed or who whatever? So I think it just speaks to how seriously James Franklin took this. He's not been afraid to make changes, obviously. He's done it quite often, uh, but usually right after the regular season. So the fact that he did it then, did it now, I think he senses he gets the sense of urgency. And I think we all do, right? I mean, we all have a pretty good feel for you know what those two losses meant and what the fact that it was one side of the ball that really took them down in both of those games. I don't think any of our listeners need to, to be fully reminded, but just kind of to, to go through the bullet points of what occurred against Ohio State and Michigan. Penn State managed only five third down conversions on 30 tries. That's a 17% conversion rate on third downs in Columbus and then in Beaver Stadium this past Saturday. They had 10 second half possessions that took place where the Penn State was facing an eight point deficit or less. So 10 possessions in the second half where you can tie it, take the lead, zero points out of those possessions. Half of them, five ended up with three and out punts. And then you had Penn State in single digit scoring uh, until the final minute of the Ohio State game in the final two minutes of the Michigan matchup. They were at nine points before that late touchdown against the Wolverines, and they had six points against Ohio State before Caden Saunders finds the end zone with about 30 seconds remaining. And so, Daniel, look, I, I think when James Franklin went in the direction of Mike Yersich when asked about Drew Aller's struggles in their postgame press conference on Saturday, a lot of us saw the, the, the flag raised, and a lot of us wondered if he would still be the offensive coordinator for this team after Thanksgiving weekend, much less in a bowl game. And we've got our answer. He, he did not make it to mid-November, as it turns out. What do you make of the move, the timing of it, and ultimately what James Franklin owns from the situation, an offensive coordinator that he pretty aggressively brought in in, in January of 2021? 
I think that there's going to be a, a lot of attention on uh, you know who James Franklin brings in next as Penn State's next offensive coordinator. Um, I think that you make this move, and especially to do it in the aftermath of a you know, high-profile game. I don't think the TV ratings have come out yet, but there are a lot of people watching that game. A lot of people saw what Penn State did or didn't do um, on offense, and then you turn around and you have um, you, know, you you let the architect of that offense go. Um, I think that it speaks volumes as to how James Franklin uh, felt about how this offense has gone this year um, and, and everything along those lines. But, you know, I, I think that this, it just kind of shows that, um, you know, I think it shows too how much stock they had put into these two games this year, that they knew that these two games against Ohio State and Michigan would define their season, would determine what the postseason would look like, if there would be a postseason uh, you know, if you're going to make that 14 playoff. Um, so I, the timing of it definitely surprised me. Um, I, I think that, you know, Mark kind of laid it out while we were talking that this is something that we haven't seen before um, under James Franklin. But at the same time, you look at how he brought in Mike Yersich, um pretty quickly after that 2020 season when no one was really expecting it. Uh, and so Yersich, Yersich's tenure is kind of bookended. Um, with a kind of sudden arrival and a, and a sudden departure. Um, and there's a lot to dissect of what happened in between, and there's going to be a lot to dissect of what happens next. But um, I, I think that kind of the circumstances of that loss on Saturday, um, everything that went into it, how it looked, um, I, I think that probably gave James Franklin a, you know plenty of reason to, to make that decision right now. And, and this isn't a knee-jerk thing. You know that James Franklin was was kind of measuring where he was with Mike Yersich over the course of the season, over the, over the last few seasons. And I think we all acknowledge in 2021, and when we were all covering this team, uh, that 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 it was not a good offense. And 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 Sean Clifford, uh, you know, was not nearly as sharp as he would prove to be in year two under Mike Yersich's offense, of course. And he was banged up for much of that season as they go down that second half spiral. But remember how awful this ground game was and just how perplexing that whole situation was. It was before you get Singleton and, and, Al, and, and Allen on campus last year and doing their thing. But it was like historically bad level for, for this rushing attack. And, and I remember Jay Wan Sider, it was getting late in the season when we had him on a call and you could just hear him, you know, just, you could just sense the frustration and, and the lack of answers for, for him in that ground game at that stage. And you know, he talked about working with the new system and new offensive coordinator and, that's all part of that. One thing we talked about, though, Mark, back in that season was you're not going to get rid of Mike Yersich already because he picked up the commitment of Drew Aller. And when he offered Drew Aller, Drew Aller was a three-star on his way to four-star. By the time they signed Drew Aller, he's the Ohio kid with an Ohio State offer and the five-star player and the number one quarterback recruit in the country. And when you bring a guy like that on board in your first year on campus and all of a sudden he's in your quarterback room in January 2022, it's going to buy you uh, some, some opportunity, I think, as an offensive coordinator. And then you follow that up with Sean Clifford's finest season as a quarterback at the college level. And there were five of those or six of those, I should say. And, 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 and he finishes on a high note, ends up being an NFL draft pick. You got to give some credit to, to your in the work there. And then the ground game. I mean, it, it takes off in a huge way. It, it in some ways carries them to the finish line in a five game win streak against the Rose bowl with Sean Clifford playing clean football and the ground game being explosive and, then a lot of that went away here in year three. It's it's tough to make sense of it because if you're looking for continuity in the Mike Yersich era, there's very little to find. And 
Drew, Drew Aller was kind of pointed to as a life preserver of sorts early on when he was struggling. And now, despite the fact that number 15 is the starting quarterback, they're sharing a room. James Franklin still determines it's not worth it to keep Mike Yersich on board. And he talked about having to sever that relationship. So this was this was a very convicted James Franklin, it sounds like, Mark. Yeah, I mean, going back to the post game when he when he effectively said that they they didn't give Aller the chances that he needed to succeed. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but you know, out of his press conference today, when a coach says that they did not run the game plan that he expected, that that's kind of serious stuff. And yeah. I think that's why. I mean, to me, uh, I don't think you have to read between the lines there whatsoever. I mean, you know, it, it's one thing for a lack of development or whatever else. It's another thing if you go into a game expecting one thing. And we're taking Franklin's word for this. I don't know why he would say anything different because he basically said the same thing after the game, right? That they went in expecting one thing and that when the game got there, it didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, we can talk about big picture stuff like where the offense was last year and where it was this year. But to me, I mean, that kind of borders on insubordination in a game, right? I mean, it doesn't border on it. I mean, if, if that's what happened, if you're expecting one thing to happen and it doesn't, you know, that is that's pretty big. And I think it may explain why this decision was made now rather than after the season, because you get to that point. You know, again, going back to what I said, I do think it's important they needed to win at least one of these two games against the other Big Ten East, uh, you know, powerhouses. But when I heard that today, I was like, OK, now this makes a little bit more sense. And then he also and again, I'm paraphrasing because it's too hard to quote all this stuff directly. You're better at it than I am, Tyler. But, you know, he, he basically said that he talked to his staff about this as well. I mean, and I think we know who, you know, some of the people that he leans on. And I, so this, I don't think this was just Franklin saying, okay, we're doing this. Uh, I think ultimately that's what it was. I think it's his decision. But we know that he has sounding boards within that program. And I'm sure he used those sounding boards. And I'm sure he talked to Aller, you know, uh, uh, about this. Uh, again, maybe not before he made the decision. But he, he must have had a comfort level that that Aller would be kind of okay with it. I guess we'll see. I wish they would have made Drew Aller available this week. I think they're not doing themselves any favor by not making himself available because the kid carries himself extremely, extremely well, as we've learned, even in the most difficult situations. Uh, but I guess we'll have an opportunity to talk to him after the Rutgers game. We'll see how that goes. The final question of the press conference, or one of the final questions of this press conference, uh, was regarding uh, the implementation and the execution of an offensive game plan. Uh, both of those things, and James Franklin says he feels like they need to change how they approach each of those methods in terms of the, the Sunday through Friday aspect of setting the game plan together, and then actually executing it during those 60 minutes of football, which is where we saw some of those frustrations uh, bubble up to the surface, I thought, for James Franklin, and kind of He's not gonna. He's never gonna pull that curtain far wide for us and explain what how it goes down when he gets rid of a member of his coaching staff. But clearly, there was a frustration with that. And something else that stood out to me, Daniel. I, I, I know you caught this, and it was in the article that you posted. And James Franklin breaking down his perspective here. Um, he said, "Quote: I think we're a little bit more collaborative right now than what we've been here recently, and I think it's been good." What do you make of that? I think it goes to what Mark was, had just touched on a little bit in terms of what you're seeing, what you're expecting from what happens during the week into what you get on Saturday. Um, and I, I think that what we kind of learned about Mike Yersich in the you know, two plus years covering him is that he's not exactly the most cuddly person 
I don't think. You know, he's someone who definitely has his own edge. Um, I don't know him well enough to say that, you know, he's stubborn, but you could definitely see where he's the type of guy that, you know, maybe behind closed doors, um, you know, he, he might want to do things his own way sometimes. Um, so I, I thought that that was really interesting, um, especially when you talk about James Franklin discussing being more collaborative and that process. And then you look at the names that are getting elevated with things. Jaywan Sider has been on staff for six years, has that assistant head coach title. Ty Howell has been here since 2020 in his third year as a position coach, but he's someone who's a letterman and someone that James Franklin has really, really spoken effusively about uh, in terms of how he is progressing um, through the coaching profession. And then you have Danny O'Brien with the quarterbacks, uh, who is someone that James Franklin has known for probably like 15 years at this point, going back to his recruitment before coaching him at Maryland. Um, so I, I think that you look at those names and James Franklin talking about being more collaborative um, than, and I guess you can say communication is probably better in there. You look at who those guys are, how long they've been around. Um, you know, I, I think that you can kind of read between the lines there that you know, the working relationship with those guys right now uh, is probably a little bit better than it might have been um, you know, these past couple weeks or however long with Mike Yersich. So I think that in terms of reading between the lines a little bit right there, um, I think that you know, James Franklin has a lot of trust and respect in Jay Monsider and Ty Howell. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what this operation actually looks like. Um, but from what James Franklin was saying about what's been happening behind the scenes, um, I, I thought that that was really interesting. And it's one of those things that your your ears kind of perk up when you hear it. And it's another piece of the puzzle, I think, uh, in terms of you know, why this decision was made and why now. It's interesting because the last time we spoke with Mike Yurcich and the last time we will speak with him as his Penn State self as a coordinator was during the bye week. We got all three coordinators. And I remember him actually talking about how he felt it was a collaborative effort uh, in that offensive room coming up with the game plan. Um, and, and kind of it's, it's it ran a little counter to what we just discussed. And of course, you're hearing two different perspectives and, and after a firing or after a breakup or what have you, there's going to be two very different perspectives. But we were just front and center with James Franklin and, and we're on this campus. We're not sure where Mike Yersich moves on to. But um, when it comes to it, it's going to be Jaywan Sider and Ty Howell being co-offensive coordinators. Those are actually titles they officially held with this roster or with this staff. I don't know if a lot of people noticed that, but now they're the interim co-offensive coordinators in, in more of an official capacity. When you look at those titles, it more has to do with, uh, I think, salary and, and kind of uh, where you are in, in terms of your coaching career. And now these guys are going to be much more involved in play calling. We didn't get a clear answer from James Franklin on if there's a solo guy who's going to be individually dialing up those plays and, and handling that on Saturday against Rutgers. It's something they're working through right now. But Jaywan Sider, year six here, and 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 then Ty Howell, year three as a position coach, year four on the staff, a former Penn State team captain. And as you mentioned, uh, Danny O'Brien, uh, graduate assistant, stepping up to the plate in the quarterback room. James Franklin says he's not going to miss a single quarterback meeting moving forward now. So, Mark, what do you make of the plan moving forward here from the offense with Rutgers, Michigan State, and a yet-to-be-determined bowl game? You'd imagine it's probably going to be a ranked opponent based on Penn State projecting as a 10-2 finish, so that could be a, a significant test. We'll talk about if they add a, a, an offensive coordinator between now and then and what that might mean for December's outlook, but what do you make of the opportunity in front of Howell, Sider, and O'Brien? 
Yeah, I think I, just going back to what you said, I think the bowl game could be a completely different thing if they actually have an OC, even if he isn't the the officially in that capacity we've seen before that where they've been able to bring guys in. But, you know, one thing I would point out is that you still have a lot of guys who are familiar with the quarterback position on that staff. I mean, Sider, Hagens, Franklin, O'Brien, all those guys played quarterback and and two of them played. Well, three of them played quarterback at a very high level. I mean, you know, Sider w- w- was good. I mean, people forget that he was drafted. What was it? Six picks after Tom Brady, you know, way back when. Uh, so he, I, was he picked ahead of Tom Brady or was he after him? No, I think he was shortly after. I think oh, that, that, that legend may have grown into being picked <laughs> ahead of him. But in all seriousness, these guys are familiar with quarterback play. I mean, even Terry Smith was a quarterback back in high school. Not that he's going to be helping out on the offensive side, but they have enough people on an offensive staff who understand that position. And I think having Danny O'Brien, if people didn't read Daniel's story on Danny O'Brien, just a terrific piece, um, you know, wasn't sure it was going to come into play the way it kind of has because it looked like Danny <laughs> may be kind of their, you know, temporary QB coach. That wasn't made official yet, but it seems like it could be trending in that direction. But I think they have enough people to handle that quarterback position. And Franklin said that he'll pitch in there. Uh, we'll we'll see, you know, what exactly that means. But I've been nothing but ex- uh, impressed by Jay Sider every single time I've dealt with him. You know, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally. You know, whether it's BSing at a camp, whatever, the guy carries himself extremely well. He's extremely intelligent. I have no doubt that he completely knows, you know, what he's up against here or what 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 he's in for. And the same thing with Ty Howell. I mean, you know the saying, centers are the smartest guys in the on, on a football team. And this guy was a center who for Penn State, who if you go back and look, he's the first one to say. You know, he would never recruit himself because he was so small, but he ended up being a pretty good player on some on some really good teams uh, because he was so smart, the son of a coach. So, you know, these guys have been around, and I think they're going to be fine for these last two games, especially considering the caliber of opponent that they're playing. You know, with all due respect to, to Rutgers, they're coming off a really tough loss, uh, obviously, at, at Iowa, and you wonder how much starch that's going to take out of them. And then Michigan State, you know, we've seen what's kind of gone on there. So maybe that plays into it as well with Franklin, uh, not suggesting that he's not taking them one game at a time, but maybe he's not taking them one game at a time. But I think between those two guys, I think they'll be fine. And again, I think it's important that you have enough guys on that staff who have been around quarterbacks, who have played quarterback, who know what it's all about, that it's not going to be like Aller and Pribula and Smolik are going to be kind of you know floating in the wind out there you know, without any guidance. These people know how to help them out. Daniel, the head coach is going to make the final decision. He made the decision here. He owned the decision in firing Mike Yurcich. And we talked about a few years ago what, what required to get Mike Yurcich in, in firing Kirk Shiraka after nine games during the COVID season and kind of pulling the plug on that plan very quickly. And and he had wanted Yurcich before that. He had an opportunity. He brought him to campus. And now here we are, another coaching search is underway. But before we find out the identity of who that's going to be, what, what do you make of James Franklin's approach here? Now, this is go round number six. He, he obviously brought someone familiar with him uh, when he came here to campus, but it's going to be the sixth different offensive coordinator. Two of them have left to become head coaches. This is the third one who's been dismissed by Franklin. And and what do you think in, in terms of what he needs to find for himself? And, and he says his role, at least this season, is going to be similar to what it's been as a head coach in the offensive room for the last 13 years as a head coach. He says he's going to be you know, kind of the same presence and, and, and do that thing. I know there's some 
kind of wondering out there among the fan bases, what does his presence look like on Saturdays during the game? What do you make of, of how he needs to move forward with this move? Because it's not his first rodeo. Definitely. I mean, I think that he's going to have the the front row seat to see what Danny O'Brien does with these quarterbacks, what Jalen Sider and Ty Howell do with this offense. And he said that he's going to be more involved in the quarterback room. I think he said he's going to be in every meeting uh, in there with Danny O'Brien and Aller and that group. Um, and then I think that he said that he's going to be involved in the offense. And I think that to a certain extent, he always has been. So he's going to get to see what Javon Sider and Ty Howell, um, you know, how they're handling it, what they're doing. He's going to get a really, really close look um, at them in in this room. But I, I think that with James Franklin, I think the one thing that we've learned about him is that when he makes a decision like this or makes a move like this, that there's some sort of plan in place, um, you know, something you know, he's, he's thought about it and he kind of knows a direction that he wants to go in. So I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, I, I do think the timing is interesting just from the, the carousel perspective. Um, it seemed like this year, uh, the carous- this carousel really started spinning yesterday um, with some of the moves that were made in terms of head coaches um, and into today, actually, with, with some more. Um, and James Franklin said that he wants this hire to be made sooner rather than later. Um, he made the comparison to hiring Manny Diaz in 2021, where they were able to get Diaz in the building uh, in, I think, like early mid-December, <laughs> like less than a week after Manny Diaz got fired at Miami. Um, but they were able to have him there for bowl prep. Um, so he was able to be in the building, you know, see how things go, kind of learn the personnel, learn a game plan you know, see how things work so that when you get to spring, there's already kind of a a framework there for him to work within. And Franklin acknowledged that, you know, depending on where they're getting someone from, that that might not be applicable uh, for this offensive coordinator spot. But, you know, I think you give yourself, if that's what you want, if you want to have that kind of turnaround, you give giving yourself an extra two weeks to do that. um, I don't think that hurts. Um, so I, it, I'm curious to see how this sort of shakes out in these next couple of weeks. Um, one thing too with Franklin is that it seems like when when he makes these coaching changes, the the names that kind of pop up first or that seem the most logical. By the time you get from point A to point Z, <laughs> you're kind of like, wait, we started here and now we're here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, Manny Diaz, I don't think was was on people's radar that much. I mean, Marcus Hagens felt like one that didn't really get going until the very, very end. Um, so it's going to be a fun ride, I think. Um, but Franklin's given himself some good runway, you know, to figure this out, you know, to, uh, I think the one question that is probably worth a follow-up at some point before the end of the season is if Jaylon Sider and Ty Howell are, you know, legitimate, if he views them as legitimate candidates. Um, because I think also if he views them that way, these two weeks are, you know, pretty crucial for them and for him from the evaluation standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I don't know. I think that, you know, it is kind of weird for an eight and two team to fire their, you know, very prominent offensive coordinator who got them their five-star starting quarterback. Um, but I think that James Franklin wants to make a change and he wants to give himself the opportunity to have all of the information um, before he makes his next decision. 
Yeah, James James Franklin didn't go out and say that that Jaywan Sider and 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 Ty Howell are effectively auditioning for the job or anything like that. They're interim title right now. But let's face it, I mean, both of these guys may want to. I mean, it, it may be at the top of their list right now and say, "I want this job." You just don't know. And then you look at Sider's track record; he has not been an offensive coordinator at the solo level, but he's been a running backs coach at this level, a Power Five since 2010. He's been the assistant coach. I'm sorry, the assistant head coach here, a title that he earned a couple of years ago. Uh, and 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 we know that as a quarterback who's done it at a high level and in college and and, and NFL, gotten to do it there. Um, you know, he, he brings a lot more knowledge. If you talk to Jaywan Slater, always enjoy the full scope of offensive perspective he provides you beyond just his running back room. And he does that in a very nuanced way. And then Ty Howell, you know, a guy who got an opportunity early in his career in his twenties to, to be, you know, carry an offensive coordinator title um, at, at a lower level of football. He's come here, spent four years on campus and former team captain. There's a lot that you like, but I, I, let's be honest. I think if, if you're looking at a lean in house between either of these guys, you would think you'd gravitate toward Jay Wan Sider here in this situation. But my question is if Jay, if you were to come out and say, yeah, these guys are candidates, I mean, either way, if, if they feel like they're candidates, now all of a sudden you're at a risk of alienating two guys that you really like. I, I'm not going to say they will, but this throws a whole nother dynamic into play, fellas, because with Mike Yurcich gone, neither of these guys are quarterback coaches. Uh, Jay Wan Sider has played the position. I guess you could shift him over there, but he's got a damn good track record as a running back coach for about 14 years now at the Power 5 level. Ty Howell's a former offensive lineman who has coached tight ends here at Penn State. So the, the question becomes, if, if you get in a situation where you know, one of these guys feels like they put it together these final few weeks and they are a worthy candidate and they don't get the job. Is there a situation that you got to work your way back from? You'd imagine the relationships are very strong, deep rooted between James Franklin and Jay Wan Sider, James Franklin and Ty Howell. So maybe that's not something that isn't even a worry for, for anyone involved. But Mark, I just think that's human nature. And especially in this industry where egos tend to surface in times like these, it's just, you know, it, it, just like Dion Barnes, he wouldn't have been thrilled if they brought in an outside guy and said, Hey, can you assist this? Uh, you know, he, 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 to his credit, he got the job, but we don't know that that will happen in this case. And I think you'd probably say the odds are more in favor of an external hire at this stage of the search. So Mark, what do you, what do you think about the dynamics of the in-house situation and then balancing that? Well, I, I guess the question is, is there some law that says your offensive coordinator has to be your co quarterback's coach? And I don't know. Right. I mean, I think that's a question for Franklin, right? I don't know that he would answer that now, though, and understandably because you might be tipping your hand. But couldn't you? Could you make Jay Wansider your offensive coordinator and then hire a quarterbacks coach? Because I don't think you want to not have what he does for the running backs. And I think if you look at his body of work, this season has been an outlier. And 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 I think if you're looking at a situation where the offensive coordinator was fired before the season's over. You know, I, I think you're probably looking at Franklin's not considering him part of the issue. Uh, so again, I, I think extremely, extremely high, highly of Jaywan Sider. But I wonder, you know, at some point, do you kind of adjust a little bit and decide, okay, let's try a running backs coach as an offensive coordinator and go bring bring in somebody who's going to coach quarterbacks. I don't know that that's going to do, that, that that's what they're going to do. I don't think that's what they're going to do. But I think it's something that would have to be on the table if you're seriously considering Jay Wansider. And I think they should seriously consider him. I, again, I just I can't get across, and I think we all kind of feel the same way, how how football smart that guy is. And not just football. I mean, you know, recruiting, everything. You see what he's done. Uh, he, he's 
I don't know where he's going to eventually end up, but it's whether it's, you know, he has said himself that, you know, his career, he could spend it his entire career here, but he wouldn't mind being a head coach someday. And I could see him being that. I think he has that sort of personality. So I think that's what they have to get across first. I think, unfortunately, for these two guys, you know, what are you going to prove in these last two weeks that wouldn't have also been proved with Mike Yersich? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they went down and played Maryland, and and Aller looked like you know the second coming of Johnny Unitas, and you know then he gets in against Michigan, and 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 the kid looks lost again. So I just don't know how much they will be able to hang their hats on these results. Now, what are what is Franklin going to see in Lash Building? What is he going to see in the meeting meeting rooms? What is he going to hear uh, with the the communication during the games? I think those things are are bigger things that we're not going to have a great feel for. But when this is all said and done, I think those are some of the questions that will have to be asked. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This coordinator search is underway. James Franklin says it's a full-time job. He says right now he doesn't really have time for two full-time jobs, but he brought it upon himself. He fired Mike Yersich. So yeah. uh, he, 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 he was pretty realistic, as you said, Daniel, that while you'd love for a Manny Diaz situation to surface, Manny Diaz was fired, and he wasn't contractually tied anywhere. And so that set up things pretty nicely for you in early December. Will that come to, to the forefront here, or do, do we wait a little bit longer? Uh, some things to figure out, but they were able to bring Kirk Shiraka, if I recall correctly, down to Dallas for the Outback Bowl. Tyler Bowen, the tight ends coach, was the play caller that day when they set a postseason record uh, for Penn State for points in a bowl game and rushing yards in a bowl game. But Kirk Shiraka was the OC in waiting. He was just kind of down there, flew in. Instead of coaching Minnesota in a bowl, he was watching Penn State in a bowl. And if you could even have a, a, a coordinator, your future coordinator, on the sideline, at a bowl game like you had Manny Diaz down at the Outback Bowl. That could really set the stage for you come January when everybody reconvenes. You're starting from a little bit more of a, you know, you're starting on second base, let's put it that way. When when that semester opens, you've got a better feel for what's working, what's not, what personalities are like on that roster, and you've probably already broken some ice on campus with your staff members and with the players that you're going to be demanding a lot from right off the jump. Let's get into Drew Aller because this is a really – as referenced earlier, a really unique situation when you've got not only the, the the quarterback's coach and the coordinator who he's working with on a daily basis, but when you talk about that ascension of Drew Aller, Mike Yersich is very much joined in at the hip for part of that journey. He's the coordinator, and, and there were a few of them at the Power 5 level who identified Drew Aller as a target earlier than most, but Mike Yersich was the one who put the offer out there. And during COVID, Drew Aller takes the, you know, the, during the COVID sanctions, he comes and takes the unguided tour of campus. And pretty quickly, he ends up committing to the Nittany Lions. And very quickly after that, he is the talk of, of the college football world as this rising figure. And now Daniel, here he is, his, his, the guy that, that brought him here and believed in him and, and, and you know, has been telling him that he's going to be the best and he's going to help him get there is no longer welcome in that quarterback room. He's no longer welcome at the Lash building. Daniel O'Brien's still there. You look around, James Franklin's still there. 
I'm wondering, though, we're not going to get to ask him this week, which is unfortunate, but Drew Aller here, two-game stretch. I talked about it in the post-game podcast. You want to make him believe that you have an answer, and more than an answer, a star at quarterback going into 2024 when he's going to be a junior because if we have the question of is quarterback figured out going into 2024, that's a whole different conversation that we did not anticipate. Definitely. Um, just to go back to two things that Mark was talking about um, in terms of the quarterbacks and having your uh, offensive coordinator be a quarterbacks coach and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, if you decide to go elsewhere with the offensive coordinator being a different position coach, you might already have your quarterbacks coach in the building. Um, you know, Danny O'Brien might be auditioning for that down the stretch. And then the second point with what you're going to be able to prove against Rutgers and Michigan State these next two weeks. I think that this is probably one of those situations that's a little bit cliche, but this might be a lot more about the process over the results. I think that that's something else you can glean from reading between the lines of what James Franklin said uh, in terms of the collaboration, things not necessarily looking how they expected to on Saturdays, um, that sort of communication. I think that you know the process these next couple of weeks is going to be very, very important um, in terms of putting that product together on the field on, on, on Saturdays. But in, in terms of Drew Aller, James Franklin kind of, I don't think we got any insight really into what this decision w affected Aller maybe emotionally or personally, but James Franklin said that he talked to the quarterbacks before the team meeting um, on Sunday and then uh, before the rest of the team uh, found out about and told them before the rest of the team. Um, and he said that they understood the decision. Um, and I think that the the impression that I've gotten from being around Drew Aller and Bo Fribula and, and talking to them, and I think part of it is due to their situation in terms of coming in together. Um, I think they understand how this works at a certain extent. I, I think that with Aller, I've, I've never gotten the, there's never been kind of that, entitlement or something along those lines that maybe other players might have. I, I think that he understands how this works. Uh, he, I think that Bo Perbula does too. Both of them have watched a lot of football. I mean, <laughs> Drew Aller's a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> he grew up one of those. I mean, he's seen a lot of things when, when it comes to football and these sorts of uh, transactions, but um, it is going to be, yeah, it is interesting from the personal perspective. I mean, you really laid it out and, I think it was laid out to James Franklin explicitly a couple times where it was, you know, Mike Yersich is the guy that identified him, uh, offered him early, stayed on him and got him to state college. And that was before Mike Yersich had even ever coached a game um, for Penn State. I mean, I think he'd barely been on the job for two months in March 2021 when Drew Aller committed. Um, so I think that there is really something meaningful there. Um at the same time, though, if Drew Aller and James Franklin are also aligned and he's seeing what James Franklin is seeing and also Drew Aller is seeing what's happening on Saturdays, um, you know, I mean, he's experiencing what's happening on Saturdays. Yeah. He is what's happening on Saturdays. Um, I think that this is something that he can probably understand um, a little bit. I, I think that um, you know, a lot of these kids come in and. I think that maybe they don't get enough credit sometimes for understanding kind of the, you know, the realities of, of the, of the world. I know that some don't, but I think that the impression I've gotten from Aller and Favila is that 
you know, they know how this works. You know, they know that they knew they came in from a two quarterback class. I mean, both Wheeler committed to Kirk Shiraka. So, I mean, he's already been through this um, to a certain extent. So I think that those guys are pros and they sort of know this reasoning and, you know, we'll, we'll see what it does for them. 23 days ago, Drew Aller woke up in Columbus without a loss against him in his college career, without a turnover against him in his college career. Here we are 23 days later. He's got a big loss against Michigan, a big loss against Ohio State. He just saw his offensive coordinator just get fired. Three-week span here. You want to talk about wake, uh, grow up, young man? This is going to really thrust him into a, a kind of a, a moment that, that he probably never imagined he would have to encounter here in year one as a starter but it's here in front of him. We're going to start to learn more about Drew Aller. As you mentioned, Bo Perbula committed uh, to Kirk Shiraka. He stuck around and, and came in as that second quarterback with Drew Aller uh, in Mike Yersich's debut class. And then you've had Jackson Smolik, who was another one of those ascending figures late in the cycle. Uh, Mike Yersich makes the move there. They get him on board. Uh, so that, that's a bit of a Mike Yersich specialty as well. And then Ethan Grunkemeyer from the same quarterback trainer, uh, Brad Mendler out in Ohio, as Drew Aller. You know, this is a guy that Mike Yersich was far earlier on a lot of people in offering. And, and, and obviously, James Franklin is involved in that decision as well. But we're talking about your quarterback room here moving forward. Whoever is going to be overseeing it being configured by the man who was just shown the door by James Franklin. It's a two part job. You got to recruit. You got to coach. Um, and, and obviously not up to the task here at Penn State determined by James Franklin. In terms of potential candidates, aside from the ones who are here on campus already, We've got a hot board, hot board up at lines247.com. It will be evolving. We've got plenty of message board conversation for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com as well. Uh, trust me, our subscribers are carrying the conversation there in, in that updates piece. But we've also got 10 names, uh, a couple that we mentioned here, a couple that you're familiar with, and maybe you're not um, over at lines247.com for our VIP subscribers. 50% off right now uh, gets you in the door at lines247.com for an annual subscription or $1 for one month. Got a lot going on recruiting coverage coming out of the Michigan matchup and this coaching search has now started and obviously the transfer portal that lies ahead and the signing day that lies ahead uh, VIP scoop all there for you right now moving forward though Mark normally about 35 minutes ago I would have said well Mark that happened against Michigan what is your biggest <laughs> takeaway what is your overarching uh, you know concerns and you probably would have talked a lot about the offense and Mike Yersich and we got that out of the way already and 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 so let's just come up for some air here uh James Franklin said today that that he understands it's, it's about beating the be most important teams on your schedule. He, I thought he pretty much owned uh, the, the reaction that that a lot of the fans and the frustration that was expressed. I don't think he pushed back against it. I think he kind of showed he, he gets why that's being expressed. And he's told us before that he wants to coach with a passionate fan base, because when your fan base is not passionate, that's when you're in trouble. Um, but but Mark, what do you make of this Nittany Lions team that has gone from fully in college football playoff contention and with everything on, you know, in front of it to here's Rutgers coming to you, go up to Detroit and play on Black Friday against the Michigan State, and then we'll let you know who you're playing next. And by the way, your offensive coordinator has just been fired. I mean, it's an interesting time in this facility right now. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at another 10-2 and two season, and again, Penn State has kind of you know, set that as something that it's capable of doing. And I think people are just waiting for this team to take that next proverbial step. They've been waiting for it since 2016 and they haven't been able to do it. And that's where we can talk about, you know, firing your offensive coordinator or going through however many offensive coordinators. But I mean, the common theme at this point is the head coach and, you know, are they going to be able to get there? I think that's a fair question. Uh, at this point. And I wonder, you know, honestly, if Franklin, as he's looking at, it, I wonder if he's questioning himself 
You know, and I'm saying this nothing but respectfully because I have a ton of respect for James Franklin. I think he's one of the smartest people you're ever going to meet. Uh, but I mean, the proof is kind of in the proverbial pudding. They've not been able to get to that next step. And, you know, unfortunately for them, and we've discussed this as well, this was your last opportunity to do it in this format. So, you know, it, it's almost as if, you know, you finish number 10 or 11 next year and you make your way into the playoff, it's like, well, okay, great, but you weren't able to do it in, in in the situation that existed before when you had to climb over Michigan and Ohio State to get there. So where is Penn State at this point? You have Michigan and you have Ohio State that are a different level. You have the rest of the Big Ten that are a lower level, and you have Penn State that's kind of on its own little island there and been unable to escape that area and move up. There's no other way to put it at this point. I mean, you could try to sugarcoat it. You could try to look at it a million different ways. But if you've not been able to beat the man, you can't be the man. And Penn State has not been able to beat Michigan and Ohio State when they're performing at an elite level. Just hasn't been able to do it. And then rolling the ball forward here a little bit, the concerning part is, Mark, that you mentioned Michigan and Ohio State being in that tier, and, and they've, they've shown it again this year, and then Penn State. That next space that Penn State's occupying, that's about to get a little bit more crowded. Right. Oregon, Washington, USC, maybe UCLA, depending on how pro, that program develops. You've got other teams. Maybe one of these teams currently residing in the Big Ten West finds a real pulse one of these seasons, maybe next yeah. year, and emerges as a, as a, as a legitimate threat. To maybe Rutgers in Maryland. I mean, well, I say maybe Michigan. I mean, Michigan State made a college football playoff. They could be one smart hire away from thrusting themselves back into contention as, as a Big Ten contender. So uh, that, that, that in terms of the tiers, it's not going to be any less crowded for Penn State in terms of having to elbow your way and, and work those rungs of the ladder. And Daniel, it, it, again, human nature here coming into play. You take those, those prizes off the table, the carrot off the end of the stick in terms of trophies and, and championships here for the Penn State squad. What are you most eager to learn here starting with Rutgers game week? I think that you go back to what Mark was talking about finishing 10 and two. And I mean, all 10 and twos are not created equal. I think that a 10 and two, like you had last year means something a lot different than a 10 and two this year. Um, we talked about that at the very end of the, the post game pod on, on Saturday night about how I think that this year you were supposed to take the step. Um, last year, it wasn't necessarily a happy to be here type thing, but it was, we're getting this program to the point where you can make a jump. I think that that's what the finish last year really set Penn State up for this year. And then you don't do that. So I think that, you know, in the in the interview room after the game, uh, I mean, we talked about the emotion that we saw from Theo Johnson um, and some of the other players. You know, I think about when Penn State lost its second game last year to Ohio State. I think that there was still some emotion. I mean, Sean Clifford obviously was particularly emotional after that game, but it was a little bit different um, compared to what we saw uh, this past Saturday. I think that there was a really big realization that this team let a very, very prime opportunity to do it with this group, with this defense, with this talent, some of this talent on offense to it. They really let it slip by. So I think the one thing that you are really going to be focused on is how do they come out against Rutgers? We talked about letting Ohio State beat you twice. You know, is is Michigan? I know Ohio State almost did that in that Indiana game. So are you going to let Michigan 
beat you twice uh, in in this sort of game. Um, I'm, you know, it's. I feel like we're looking at maybe a little bit of a dicey first quarter. I mean, it's going to be it's a noon game. Uh, a bunch of students are already going to be gone for Thanksgiving break. Um, you're coming off a you know, pretty bad loss to Michigan. People know that you're you're out of the mix for the Big Ten and the college football playoff. Uh, there's a possibility that it's a very, very stagnant environment in Beaver Stadium on, on Saturday. And so I think that this is where we learn a lot about the leaders on this team and as a team as a whole. I think down the stretch last year, we learned a lot about Sean Clifford and Jair Brown. You know, I mean, with Clifford, say what you want about his performance on the field, but he's someone that kept that locker room together. And then Jair Brown was someone that was delivering on the field and off the field. And that he, every time you talk to him, he he was on message. He was one of those guys that was able to talk about the big picture a little bit beyond one and um, and was really, um, you know, was really able to lay out a very clear explanation of what he wanted to accomplish, how he wanted to lead this. So you look at guys like these team captains, kind of like Theo Johnson uh, is someone that that stands out to me. Um, on the defense, Isaac, to me, yes, uh, I, 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 you were a Theo in post game, and yeah. I went to Adiza, and, and there weren't any you know emotions like you saw from Theo, but there was a steadfastness, and I'm going to hold the rudder steady here for my teammates. Yes. And we heard so much coming into this year about this leadership is going to be different. It's going to be more decentralized. This is going to be a real test if that is, if that's something that moving forward is, can be, can help this team get to that next level. Um, so I'm, you know, this, this game I think is going to be really, really uh, indicative of that. I mean, I think that Michigan State game, I think that it's going to be unique enough that, because it's 7:30, it's a Friday night, it's Black Friday. You're in Detroit, you're in an NFL stadium. I think that there's going to be enough there to that you can feed off of. I think that it'll be unique enough um, that you, know, you can that there's stuff there to draw on. But I think this game, you know, it's going to be a. I think for Penn State, it's going to be the epitome of a bring your own juice game. That I, I don't know if the is Beaver Stadium going to help you that much in this game. Are they going to show up like they did for Michigan? No, it's it's Rutgers. Um, and so you're going to have to deliver on this. You're going to have to, you know, go from the locker room and come out and and be able to go from the jump there. So I think that's what I'm looking at Saturday. And, and I, while you were talking, I kind of looked back at some of those sleepy starts in Beaver Stadium because this is a game that's always late in the calendar. It's after Penn State has picked up a couple of those losses, so they're not in the college football playoff conversation. And some of these dynamics in play, some of it has been Thanksgiving weekend on campus. Uh, the last few times, 2017, 14-6 uh, to 6 Penn State at halftime. Uh, that's when they had Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley still leading the show. 2019, they were up 7-3 to 3 at halftime in Beaver Stadium. That was an 11-win team that season. Uh, 2021, uh, 7-0 Penn State over Rutgers and Beaver Stadium. The problem for Rutgers is that while Penn State has been sleepy and stumbly and sometimes haven't, hasn't gotten to 30 points, Rutgers has shown no offensive pulse. And by the way, they're coming off of a shutout loss against Iowa. Uh, our old friend Kirk Shiraka coming back to town. It didn't work out for him so well in his return to Beaver Stadium last year as Minnesota's play caller in the whiteout game. He will come back here to campus with Rutgers uh, as a foe once more on a really interesting week for Penn State in terms of offensive coordinator dialogue. Uh, we'll talk about Rutgers more 
on our Tuesday episode. We'll also break down a bunch of recruiting news, uh, potential for a quarterback commitment coming on board as, as Steve Wolfbong addressed in a, a story at lines247.com, some crystal ball movement. Uh, we will cover all that on the next episode. But, fellas, we'll be on the practice field Wednesday. I know that there's some basketball coverage along the way this week. Is there anything we didn't get to because there's been so much to get to that we didn't cover that you, you want to put out there uh, right now? I, I think the one thing I, I, we didn't get to in terms of the human nature aspect is the draft declarations last year. I mean, every, uh, even when you heard that a guy was going to the draft, he was saying, but I'm sticking around because this team is special. I want to be a part of it. That's something for me is do we see something trend closer to 2021 bowl season where a lot of guys hit the door and a lot of guys were involved in the practice and he had guys flying around in planes when this team was playing in, in the Outback Bowl? Or is it like 2022, which obviously a team that had a lot more success on the field late in the season, where – even the guys who you know are surefire, pretty top-tier NFL draft prospects are saying, I got one more game. I got one more ride with my brothers here. Mark, that's something we got to learn. And then the other part is freshmen. They've been so very little involvement from that class. Now that you pick up your second loss, you're still playing to win games, but do you retrain yourself a little bit in what you're trying to find from, from, from a personnel standpoint here in the next couple of weeks, the film that you're trying to accrue, the evaluations that you're trying to do? So to me, it's the guys at the very top of the roster who are potentially on their way, way out or considering leaving. And then it's the very bottom of the roster where guys are chomping at the bit to get involved. And maybe the Penn State staff decides it's time to get them some extended run. Yeah, well, going back to what Daniel said, this is where we find out what leadership is about for this team, right? I mean, uh, it, it's easy to be a leader when you're winning all of the games, but now you're in a situation where, uh, you know, honestly, what is there left to play for other than each other? I mean, I, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to play and had a chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl and all the perks you get, I think I would I would definitely do that because it's pretty cool stuff. But to these guys who have been through it, is it going to matter that much to them? So who are we going to see out there on the field on, on Saturday? You know what I mean? Do, do, do we know? I mean, we've seen – and I, we haven't seen it here, uh, but do, do, do our decisions started to be made already as we speak? So – I think it's going to be really important to pay attention to what's going on pregame Saturday. Uh, do they start dialing any of these NFL prospects back a little bit they, the way they did with a Saquon in a bowl game? I, I just don't know. We're kind of in uncharted territory, but I think it's going to speak to what the leadership of this team is all about. My guess is that these guys who you know have, have represented and, and I think have shown themselves to be good leaders, I think they will keep it together. That's just my, my guess, but – you don't know. I mean, you're in a situation where a coach was just fired in the middle of a season. We've never seen that before with James Franklin. I mean, I hadn't, I, I obviously hadn't seen it with Paterno either. I mean, he, that guy fired one coach in his last 15 years or something. So it's just, we're, we're kind of in a, a different dynamic. Uh, it, one thing I do think that's working in Penn State's favor is that uh, Saturday will be senior day. So anybody with between, you know, four and one year left or no years left, is, is going to have the ability to walk. It's not what it quite used to be, but there are some guys who are going to make that walk who I think it's going to be – well, it's probably going to be emotional for all of them. But I think there's something to that, that even coming off of a tough loss, you know, I think these guys know what they invested in the program, and hopefully enough fans show up that it makes it worth – uh, that, that it makes it a special moment for them. Because, yeah, this hasn't been the season people were hoping for. But I don't think it was due to a lack of effort. I don't think these guys didn't try hard. I think the seniors, people ought to kind of rally behind them. With respect to the freshmen, I mean, sure. I mean, if these guys are ready to go, 
you might as well start playing him at this point if you're in a position not to burn the red shirt. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't do that uh, now, especially with those young offensive linemen. I mean, knowing what you're going to have to replace next year, uh, I mean, I just think it makes complete sense to start getting some of these guys who you think may have a big upside. You know, I'm not suggesting you start them, but if you're fortunate enough to be in these games and, and, and you are pulling away, uh, definitely get some of these younger players out there. Give them the opportunity. Daniel, we'll finish. Uh, just want to offer you the mic. Make sure we didn't leave anything out that you thought needed to be involved here. Here, let, let me pull up all the two-point conversion charts about when when you're supposed to go and when no. you're not supposed to go. <laughs> no, um, no. I mean, I I think that it's I think these last two games and these last two weeks and you know going through bowl season, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what what happens with Penn State because it's like, kind of like we talked about uh, in 2022, like you were setting up your springboard for 2023, you know, 2019 was supposed to be a springboard for 2020. You throw that out a little bit, but I think the assumption is, is under normal, normal conditions, you see, you know, something different than what you got. And so I think, you know, momentum is a concept that, you know, sometimes you can believe in it. Sometimes it's a little bit more dubious, but I think that there is something to be said for, ending this game on a high note because you know these freshmen and these sophomores these younger guys that are prepared to step into larger roles i mean they're looking up to these seniors they're looking up to these fourth and fifth year guys so you know i think how they handle the end of this season i think can affect next season and i think it also offers the opportunity for some leaders to step up i mean i think tyler i think you made a really good point on saturday night that these are a big two weeks for Drew Aller, I think, both to showcase what he can do on the field, but also for him to be in a position to potentially take over this team next year. Um, you know, I think that he is going to be the guy next year. He's going to be a third year player. By all expectations, if things go as we thought they'd go, it should be his last year. So this is it. Like You're going to be the guy next year. You're going to be the one that everyone's going to be looking to, you're going to be in command. So how do you set that up um, as the season ends? You know, do you show it on the field? Are you showing it in the locker room? Can you help set the tone for, for this off season? Because there's going to be a, there should be a pretty big exodus of these fourth and fifth year guys who've been around a lot, played a football men a lot to this program. And then you're going to need that next group to step up. And Aller is going to be part of that group. Um, I think we saw with Sean Clifford, the value of having a quarterback who can be that emotional leader, that spark or that fiery guy down the stretch last year. We know that Drew Aller has a different kind of personality, um, but this is his chance to step into that role a little bit. So I think that these next two weeks, there's plenty of stuff on the field. You know, they're still playing these games, even though they lost that second game to Michigan. Um, but I think looking at the practice fields off the field in the locker room, um, is going to be something really, really worth paying attention to and worth kind of keeping our ear to the ground as we talk to these players over these next two weeks. Those conversations will begin on Tuesday and, and carry on through the week. We'll be back on the practice field Wednesday and and just uh, a lot going on at Lions247.com right now. And I'll finish with this just to put it in perspective on where the expectations are for Penn State right now and where James Franklin has kind of elevated them internally and how they've carried through externally now. And, and he heard that in Beaver Stadium exiting the tunnel and, and those boos and some of the words that were thrown at him. 
they are going if they can win these two games against Rutgers and Michigan State, they're just about a 20 point favorite against Rutgers. They'll be in the same ballpark against Michigan State. So we expect them to be 10 and 2. It would mark the third time in this program's uh, run since the 1994 unbeaten season that they have stacked together back to back double digit win campaigns. They did it in 2008 and 2009. They did it in 2016 and 2017. Here they are. Probably going to do it again, 2022, 2023. And yet the conversation around this team is about James Franklin getting booed and into the tunnel, Mike Gersuch getting fired as the offensive coordinator. Again, expectations are just in a very different place right now for this program. And uh, we'll see what James Franklin and this team have for answers these next few weeks. And then moving forward, for everyone here at Lions 24-7, uh, the podcast and the .com, uh, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, Grace Brennan, Tyler Calvaruso, and our mighty group of recruiting reporters. Uh, we're stepping aside for now. We'll be back with you for another episode Tuesday, and then we'll come back Thursday as well with our preview episode for Rutgers versus Penn State. Thanks, everyone, for listening or watching. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll see you next time on the Lions 24-7 podcast.